This message was presented at the GYC 2011 conference. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Father, it is an honor to be able to visit with you and to just uh, consider your greatness. Uh, And Lord, we just pray now for the Holy Spirit to be in our midst. This whole meeting is all about being gathered together, seeking after your Spirit. Oh Lord, there's nothing more that we would want than to be uh, completely baptized in the Spirit to experience the latter rain. And that's our desire. And so, if there's anything in our lives that we need to place on the altar, help us to do that. If we're reluctant to surrender all, then give us the spirit of faith where we can trust you with everything. Cleanse us from any obstacle in our lives that would obstruct or prevent the flow of your spirit both to us and through us. Ultimately, Lord, we want you to flow through us to others. And we thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it, it probably would not be appropriate to uh, uh, talk about such an important subject of being filled with the Spirit and living a victorious life without getting into the core of what the biggest problem often is. I talked a little bit about selfishness. Self is our problem. You've got the Spirit and the flesh always at war. There's the spiritual side and there is the fleshly side. Uh, I love that promise that you find in Romans. If you have your Bibles and you turn to Romans chapter 8, we were talking about being victorious overcomers in our first section. I I know we took a couple of detours, but that was the theme. Verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ has made them free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, He condemns sin in the flesh. That means God will condemn the sin in us. So it doesn't control us. Notice that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded or fleshly minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. In our presentation tomorrow, I'll be talking more about the need of the Holy Spirit and and the joy of the Spirit. Who the Spirit is. The Spirit is not an it. The Spirit is a who. But falling in love with God and being filled with the Spirit is the greatest joy. Being baptized in that experience, nothing compares to that kind of ecstasy. At His right hand are pleasures forevermore. I did an illustration twice last Sabbath and I'm still just so amazed. I've known this for a while, but the, the magnitude of it uh, just struck me, for some reason, struck me anew. I think maybe it's because somebody sent me to a website that actually helped me visualize the immensity of space. Stay with me for a moment. Back in 1996, some of you saw Sabbath School streaming last week. You saw this. Back in 1996, the Hubble telescope, the people who manage it, did a very risky thing. 
They said, we're going to dedicate the telescope for 10 days. It's very expensive to operate that piece of equipment. All these science uh, scientists and universities are in line trying to, uh, they're applying for uses and in, in places they want to aim the telescope and things they want to do with the telescope. And some of them only get it for a few days or for half a day or a few hours. And, but to, to occupy it for 10 days was unusual. But what's really more unusual is they said, we're going to focus the telescope on the biggest piece of nothing we can find and see if we find anything. This is true. So they took this very expensive telescope and they focused it on they focused it on oh, that's too big. I'm trying to figure out a way to illustrate this. Any of you know what a sixteenth of an inch is? Like one millimeter? One thousandth of a meter. So it's something that's just like fraction of smaller than that. It's smaller than that. But it's about the size of a piece of rice. There you go. So take a piece of rice. You had it for dinner. And you hold that out at the night sky at arm's length. And whatever piece of sky that piece of rice covers is the size of what they focused on for ten days. Now you realize that with a camera you leave the aperture. When there's low light, it's a slower shutter speed. When there's almost no light, you gotta, if you want to like a picture of a star, you've got to leave your aperture open for several seconds. And they left the aperture open for 10 days. And they aimed the telescope at what they thought was a spot of nothing that they saw in the sky by the Big Dipper. After 10 days, in that little frame, they were shocked to discover that there were 3,000, not stars, 3,000 galaxies. Each galaxy has billions, not millions, billions of stars. So, they weren't done yet. They upgraded the Hubble in 2004, I believe it was. They did it again. Except now they found a part of the sky that's in the constellation Orion, same size, sixteenth of an inch, one millimeter, and they left it open for eleven days this time, found another piece of nothing in the sky, better equipment, they were able to capture more, and they found ten thousand galaxies in a spot that is just see that little thing of light there? <laughs> That little bitty spot, 10,000, not stars, galaxies. Each one of those pins of light had billions of blazing suns and who knows how many planets. And that just happens to be as far as they could see. Now, if there's that difference in their technology where they went from 3,000 galaxies to 10,000 galaxies, then imagine what could happen in 20 years. How big is the universe that God created? How big are we by comparison? We think we're pretty big. I said something earlier this morning I want to repeat because I, I believe it's important. One of the single most important criteria to being filled with the Holy Spirit, I believe, is humbling ourselves before God. 
Water runs downhill. The Holy Spirit runs downhill also. It always goes to the lowest point. Have you ever noticed that Jesus picks the oddest people to honor? But he always picks the low ones. To whom does he reveal himself after the resurrection? Mary Magdalene. I mean, John comes to the tomb. Peter comes to the tomb. His own mother ostensibly was there. He waits until they've all come and they've left. He's not yet ascended to the Father. That means he's hiding off in the bushes somewhere. And he specifically is waiting for a certain individual. And when Mary, the the lowest of the bunch, the, the disciple, they said, don't let her touch you. She's got a bad reputation. You remember? Mary Magdalene. The one that Judas said, what a waste. When she was worshiping Jesus, Judas kissed Jesus' face. And then he betrayed him. Mary kissed his feet. And she served him. She was content to be at his feet. Disciples wouldn't wash each other's feet. He reveals himself to Mary, the first one who sees him resurrected. Who is the one that God reveals the treasure to when everyone in Samaria is starving and they're all resorting to cannibalism and all kinds of things because they're starving? Who is it that he reveals the treasure to? Four lepers. Not the king, not the general. Wasn't even Elisha the prophet who was in the city during that time. Four lepers. When Jesus comes and he starts calling apostles, he doesn't go to the temple. He doesn't go to the seminary. And I'm not against the seminary. I'm just telling you, he didn't do things the way you'd think he would do them. He goes to where the fishermen are and the shepherds and the tax collectors. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a publican. Publicans, of course, they were the outcasts of society. Pharisee stood, prayed thus with himself. I always think that's interesting wording. You know, Lord, I thank you. I'm not like other men. I pay tithe of all that I've got. I fast twice a week and I'm not an extortioner like this publican back here. But the publican, he bows himself, would not lift up his eyes unto heaven, smites on his breast and says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. He humbles himself. And you know what Jesus said? The publican goes home justified. He goes home forgiven. So what is the key to receiving that baptism of the Holy Spirit? Whoever humbles himself before the Lord. Now, this is something I think about frequently because selfishness and pride sort of go hand in hand. I started uh, each session talking, sharing a little quote from the Spirit of Prophecy. In the book's uh, Christ Object Lessons, page 154, the evil that led to Peter's fall and that shut the Pharisee out from communion with God is proving the ruin of thousands today. There is nothing, how much? There is nothing so offensive to God or so dangerous to the human soul as pride. Pride and self-sufficiency. Of all the sins, it is the most hopeless, the most incurable. Some of us are proud of our pride. We don't have any problems at all telling people I'm too proud for that. I'd be ashamed to say I'm too proud. If you're a Christian in, in that way of thinking, that's, that's a kind of like a self-insult for a Christian to say you're proud. Because basically you're saying that I'm too good for God. The only way he can save us is, is, is as we humble ourselves. 
from the book Seven uh, Testimonies, page 210. Everyone has undiscovered traits of character that must come to light through trial. God allows those who are self-sufficient to be sorely tempted that they might understand their helplessness. Who was it that bragged the loudest that they would not um, deny Jesus when he was betrayed? Peter. Who denied him the most vocally? Peter. Who wept the most bitterly? Peter. Matter of fact, when Jesus did rise from the dead and he revealed to Mary that he was alive, it's interesting, he said, go tell the disciples and Peter. He mentions Peter by name. Why? Because Peter was thinking he had gone too far. But it says, Peter went out and he wept bitterly. When Peter humbled himself, then God could forgive him. Someone once said, humility is a strange thing. The moment that you think you've acquired it is the moment that you've lost it. You can become proud of your humility. It's like I heard about a small town that the people there, there just was this one man, he was a mechanic, and he was just such a meek and a mild man, they wanted to do something to honor him, so they gave him a medal for being the humblest man in all the town. But then he wore the medal, so they took it away from him. Oswald Chambers said, there's nothing more awful than conscious humility. (laughs) It is the most satanic type of pride. Conscious humility. To be aware of your piousness. You know, it is possible to be too big for God, but you can never be too small for God. Sometimes we might think that we're too good. Romans 12, verse 3. Paul said, For I say through the grace given to me that everyone who is among you not think of himself more highly than he ought to think. And that also means not to think more lowly than you ought to think. Some people just kind of fabricate a humility and that'd be kind of like, you know, Michael Jordan, if you asked him, do you know how to play basketball? And he said, well, you know, I'm sort of learning. Well, that's not humility, that's lying. You know what I'm saying? If he said, well, I'm okay, that'd be lying. I mean, to be honest, you'd want to say, I'm pretty good, actually. (laughs) I've been called the best. He could humbly say that. So, you know, God is not asking us to, you know, bend over backwards and, and not tell the truth. I think we ought to have a realistic idea of who we are. But uh, it should be realistic. If you humble yourself before God, all things are possible. Would you like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Second Chronicles 7.14 If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. How were they filled with the Holy Spirit in the days of Elijah? They fell down when the fire came down from heaven. They said, the Lord, He is God. How were the disciples filled with the Holy Spirit? They put aside their differences. They humbled themselves. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, if we see Christ lifted up, fix our eyes on Jesus, and turn from their wicked ways, resolve to surrender anything in our lives that might be in the way, then, God says, if they do this, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I'll heal their land. Humility works wonders in the Bible. 
God values humility so much that even when the wickedest kings in the Bible had an episode of humility, God blessed them. Name the wickedest kings in the Bible. Ahab. You know, there was a story in the Bible when uh, Ahab stole Naboth's vineyard. He did it at the uh, urging of his wife Jezebel who stirred him up. And Elijah the prophet came and said, because of your wickedness, I'm going to cut off your house from being king and all your descendants are going to be slaughtered. And then Elijah stormed away. Now Ahab knew him. When Elijah said something, it tended to happen. And it says that Ahab put on sackcloth and he mourned many days and he humbled himself greatly before the Lord. And you read in 1 Kings 21, if you're making any notes, 1 Kings 21, 29, this is, a, this is an incredible verse. God said, See how Ahab has humbled himself before me. Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the calamity in his days, but in the days of his sons, I'll bring the calamity on his house. Because he's humbled himself, I'm going to show him some mercy. I'm going to mix mercy with this judgment. Manasseh is carried away to a foreign land because of his wickedness. He's placed in an Assyrian jail. This is the king who killed Isaiah the prophet. He filled Jerusalem with innocent blood. He put idols in the temple of the Lord. He made his children to pass through the fire. I could go on and on, but when it begins to recite the litany of Manasseh's sins, it's, uh, it even surpasses Ahab. Ahab was the worst king in the northern kingdom. Manasseh was the worst king in the southern kingdom. His grandfather, a great-great-grandfather, was David. He was the son of Hezekiah. But when he was carried off to Assyria... And he was put in prison. He kind of had to think there. You know, I just read where Ellen White said, sometimes we go through trials, we wonder, why, Lord, are you bringing me through all this? Why am I going through this difficulty? And it might be to bring us to our knees. Sometimes you've got to have a weight on your shoulder to get you to your knees. And Manasseh humbled himself in jail and he prayed. And not only did God forgive his sin, he brought him back to the kingdom. It's just phenomenal what the Lord will do when we humble ourselves before the Lord. i tell you a, a quick story. After lunch, I was walking back to the hotel. I ran into my friend, Pastor Dwight Nelson. And uh, we're good buddies. Uh, I remember something interesting that happened. You've got to bear with me. This is just a personal experience, but I never forgot it. It was the General Conference meeting 2000 in Canada. Was that Toronto? And um, it was in their dome there. Their Astrodome was connected with their convention center. I don't know what they called it. It was where the Blue Jays, the Canadian baseball team, plays. And, and I got there early because the Amazing Facts Evangelist had an evangelism council. There were ministerial meetings. And then Karen and the boys were going to meet us there. And it just so happened Karen's birthday was during the general conference meetings. So when I'm checking into the hotel... Uh, I noticed that some of the rooms actually faced in on the arena. If any of you, any of you at the Toronto meetings in 2000, you know that you could look up and some of the rooms actually had windows that looked into the arena where the meetings were. I thought, wow, it'd be great if I was in that same hotel, but most of them looked outside. It'd be great if I could have one of the windows that looked in. And so while I'm standing there and waiting to uh, check in, 
a couple of people come up to me and they say, Pastor Doug, we love your TV programs, something like that. Anyway, but the bell, the, the, um, the clerk at the desk that was checking us in, he heard this. And he said, uh, when I came up to him, he said, um, are you on television? I know, I always love when people ask me, oh, oh. try and act humble, you know, when you say, oh. I said, yeah, we have some TV programs. And I said, look, I, need, I wonder if you could do me a favor. I said, it's my wife's birthday. It was a day or two away. And I said, uh, I said, if you've got one of the rooms and you could switch me to one of the rooms that actually looks at the arena, I'd be so grateful. She'd just be thrilled to be able to look in there. He looked at me and said, I'll see what I can do. So he worked on his computer and he gave me a room and I said, well, does this one look over? He said, I think you'll be okay. You'll like it. You'll be happy. So I went and they took me to my room and I checked in. It was the private room of the team owner for the Canadian Blue Jays that not only overlooks the arena, but it had a balcony, like a papal balcony <laughs> that overlooked the arena that was right above the stage it was the only room in the whole Coliseum like this. And it had, you know, just had all these extra amenities in this sitting area and all this stuff. And I thought, wow. And I walked out on the balcony and I looked over this big arena. <laughs> and I just, I couldn't resist the temptation of just... <laughs> oh, wow, this is great. And so, sure enough, when Karen came... She came in, she checked in, I thought, oh, this is great. And she thought, oh, man, this is so neat. And we called our friends, uh, John and Angie Lomacain, they came and joined us. And when the, when the meeting was in full session, I'll tell you, it was really neat. Because you got 50,000 Adventists, and you got the stage down there below you. And all these Adventists are gathered there. We went to the room because it's also on in the hotel. And so we had it on in our room, and we could look down on the stage. We went out on the balcony. We started waving towels. <laughs> And then, uh, then for, for one of the things they did Sabbath morning, this is as close as I'll probably ever come to being on the platform at a general conference meeting, but they were introducing the different net speakers from the previous five years. And so Pastor Finley was there, and Ken Cox was there, Pastor Nelson was there, I was there, Pastor Bouillon was there. Are we making too much noise? Sorry, David. When I count to three, I want you to all laugh real loud. Will you do that? One, two, three. <laughs> okay. Now, don't tell anybody what the joke was. <laughs> all right, so back to my story. Why am I not surprised by that? <laughs> okay, well, it's the joy of the Lord. That's part of the Spirit, right? <laughs> Anyways, back to my story. So that evening, I don't even remember what time of day it was, they were just going to bring out all the net speakers. And I'm backstage. And I'll tell you what, friends, uh, I was really excited. Because... You know, I was, a couple of years ago, I was pastoring a church with you know, 80 members living up in the hills. Uh, and all of a sudden, these people I'd been watching for years, like Ken Cox and Mark Finley, Pastor Nelson, and I'm on the stage with all of them. And I'm going, oh, I can't believe this is happening. Because we'd done the Net 99 program in New York. That was pretty exciting, too. 
And so, I mean, I'm just coming off a, a, a pretty exciting thing. You know, here we get the people room and, and all this stuff. And, and while we're standing backstage, Pastor Nelson says, I don't know why he said it, but he was maybe just thinking, you know, here we're going out there. And he said, you know, Doug, we're never more like the devil than when we're proud. He was just musing to himself, but he didn't know how that spoke to me. And it's true. He was quoting somebody, actually. We are never more like the devil than when we're proud. And we are never more like Jesus than when we humble ourselves. And boy, that struck me to the very core. Um, beware, if, if you ever get where you're all of a sudden riding high, when did David get in trouble with Bathsheba? After he went from victory to victory to victory, pretty soon he thought, I can handle anything on my own. And he ended up in the valley, didn't he? It's often after you kill the giant, the next thing you know, David kills the giant, the king is hunting him and throwing spears at him. So it's often after times of victory, you especially need to be careful. It's like the mama whale told the baby whale, be careful when you get to the top and you start to blow is when you get harpooned. You know, the whales go to the top and they start blowing their spouts is when the whaling ships find them. And so the key for success as the Christian, being spirit-filled, is to humble yourself. Now someone brought something to my attention. I think they're right. We're not really supposed to pray in the Bible per se that God humbles us. It always says humble yourself. You choose because God cannot force you to love Him and God cannot force you to be humble. He can humiliate you. We can humiliate each other. But that's not the same as humbling yourself. When you humble yourself, you are consciously recognizing that without God, we can't do anything. We don't know anything. Have you ever had an experience where you thought you could handle something and all of a sudden God had to say, you can't do anything without me? Sometimes... I've had a few experiences where I'm about to preach and, and I really thought that uh, nothing could go on without me and I got sick, just so sick. I remember once I was supposed to speak and everyone had invited everybody to this meeting and I woke up that morning and my head was spinning and it was so bad, I said, Karen, you better take the boys and I'm going to try and feel better and I'll, I'll do everything I can, all the natural remedies and I said, I'll be there because I know everyone's counting on me being there and how could they, after all, ever go on and have church without moi? You know, this is how I'm thinking. And I just got so sick, I won't go into the details, but there was no human way I was going to go to church. And about 11.45, just like the finger of God had touched me, it was removed and I felt fine. And it was like a miracle. I think Karen thought I was faking it when she came home. She said, you look fine now. I said, believe me. I don't know what happened, but I, I couldn't go. And... Um, Turns out they had a testimony service at that church. The Lord just poured His Spirit out. And they did it without me. So God gives you experiences every now and then to help you realize that we're all expendable. You know that? So we've got to choose to humble ourselves. But there's no limit to the usefulness of someone who lays self aside. And if we humble ourselves before the Lord, what He can do with us? God did miracles for Hezekiah. Made, healed him. Made the sun go backwards. He then sends ambassadors from Babylon to find out about the God who could do these things. And what did Hezekiah show them? 
He didn't show them anything about God. He said, here, let me show you my treasures. Let me show you my armory. Let me show you my jewels. Let me show you all the attendants I've got in my parade. And, and Isaiah said, what did they see in your house? Oh, I showed them all my stuff and my treasure and my me, 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 me. And Isaiah said, well, that's too bad because they're going to take your treasure. If your treasure was God, they would have taken your God back to Babylon and the history would be different. But instead, you showed them you, you and your treasure, and they're going to come and they're going to take all your gold. And the Babylonians did come later and they carried it all away because of his pride. God had to humble them. There's no limit to what God can do with those that humble themselves. Second Chronicles 34, 27, 28. God said to King Josiah, Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants, and you've humbled yourself before me, and you tore your clothes, and you wept before me. I have heard you, says the Lord. Surely I will gather to your fathers, and you'll be gathered to your grave in peace. One more quote here. Nine Testimonies, page 189. If we would humble ourselves before God, and be kind and courteous and tender-hearted and pitiful, there would be a hundred conversions to the truth where there is now only one. A hundred times more conversions. You know why I think that is? Not because we're just going around being humble all the time, but because humbling ourselves makes room for the Holy Spirit to come into our lives. And if the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, people will be converted. After the disciples humbled themselves and the Holy Spirit was poured out, thousands were converted. But they humbled themselves. You know, one of my favorite verses is where the Lord says in uh, Philippians that Jesus made himself of no reputation. Philippians 2. Matter of fact, uh, why, don't we, why don't we close with that? And then I want to take a few questions if you have any, specifically on the Holy Spirit, and then we're going to pray together. If you have a question, you can find your way to the microphone right now. And I just want to read Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8. Mark this down if, uh, if you don't have it. They're advertising. Up here, I didn't see that. Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. You know what it says? Let this mind. Why does he say let this mind be in you? Because you've got the option to not let it be in you. Having the mind of Christ. Was Jesus proud or humble? Let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He was equal with God. He wouldn't have been robbing God to say, I'm equal with God. But he made himself, we humble ourselves, of no reputation. He didn't come down as any kind of dignitary or politician. Taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men. He came from this limitless cosmos we live in. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross, the lowest form of death, outside the city, an outcast, naked. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those who are on the earth and of those under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father." You've heard it said before, he that humbles himself will be exalted and he that exalts himself will be humbled. Who in the universe has exalted himself the most? 
The devil. Who is going to be humbled and suffer the most? The devil. Who is it that humbled himself the most? Christ. Who is going to have eternal exaltation? Christ. All of us follow one of two masters. You're never more like the devil than when you're proud. And you're never more like Christ than when you humble yourself. That's something I pray for every day. Um, Don't confuse being self-conscious as humility. People who are hyper-self-conscious are often very proud. It's actually a different manifestation of proud. Christian humility is a different selfless spirit where you're not preoccupied with what everyone thinks of you. You're more interested in what God thinks of you. And you're living in His sight. I pray for that kind of spirit. Don't you, friends? This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.